In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear Saints, uh, the sermon uh, text for today is from Isaiah chapter 6, the Old Testament lesson, and it's about Isaiah's vision of the Lord. And no doubt there's a lot in this text to preach to you, but I'm only going to draw out two points from the text, uh, two things that you should take to heart uh, for comfort and consolation. Uh, The text begins by saying these words. In the year that King Uzziah died, that's uh, the year 740 B.C., he says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, the first thing I want to make note of is this, where Isaiah was. He wasn't out in the wilderness. He wasn't on top of a mountain. He was in the temple. That is, he was in church. Now, we don't know if anyone else was there at the time he was in church or if he was alone. Uh, That doesn't really matter. What matters is that he was in the temple. And the second thing to note is this. He says, I saw the Lord. It's not that Isaiah had, uh, he was hallucinating or he had a dream or something like this. The Bible uses the word dream when it means a dream. But here it means he saw with his own eyes. He saw the Lord. So Isaiah is in church, and he sees God with his own eyes. And it's not because Isaiah has a special ability that we don't have. He's flesh and blood. So we conclude that the reason Isaiah sees this is because God chose him to see it. He allowed him to see it. And now the question is why? Why did God allow Isaiah to see this? The answer is quite simple, I think. God allowed Isaiah to see him, to teach Isaiah that God is, in fact, truly there. Um, So just to back up for a moment, when we think of God, our first thought is to think of God far off, uh, beyond the galaxy, in some sort of distant place removed from the universe. And we imagine there's this massive chasm between him and us, this great distance, and we're on this lonely little planet, and we're far away. And the truth is, that's simply not true. The, the title of the sermon series is God Breaks In. And it's not bad in and of itself, but the problem is that it kind of simply reinforces the idea that God is far away and that he would have to break in to our world. Uh, periodically or occasionally. The truth is, he doesn't have to break in because he's already here. And in theology, we call that the ubiquity of God, the omnipresence of God. Uh, Psalm 139 says this. It says, Where shall we go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. In Jeremiah 23, it says, God says, do I not fill the heavens and the earth? So God is present in all places and at all times, even though we don't see him or experience him or feel him. He is invisible. He has hidden himself from our eyes, but he is there. Now, just consider a few other texts from the scriptures. In Acts chapter 7, you remember Stephen, the deacon, uh, who Uh, was martyred. He was the first martyr. He had a confession of faith calling Jesus the righteous one, and the Jews were upset with him, and so they stoned him. 
they ground their teeth at him and they rushed at him. And then the text says this, but he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now with this text, it's not that... uh, it's not that Stephen is seeing Jesus like a little star very far away. It's that he sees him right there with him as he's dying. And it's not that Jesus all of a sudden decided to uh, come down from heaven and be there in the moment he was dying. It's that he was already there. Uh, the, the veil was lifted from Stephen's eyes. Uh, furthermore, in 2 Kings chapter 6, the king of Syria had an enormous army and he was attacking Israel. One of the mornings, uh, one of the servants woke up and he saw all of the horses surrounding the city. Uh, and their army far outnumbered Israel's army. And uh, one of the servants went up to Elisha, the prophet, and he says, Master, what shall we do? And Elisha says, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed this prayer and he says, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And the man's eyes were opened and he saw the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That is, he saw the host of heaven there. And the point there again is not that these angels came down at that moment. It's that they were already there in that moment. Okay. Well, uh, I suggest to you that this is the same thing that's happening in Isaiah chapter 6. When I was younger, I used to think that uh, this something special was happening in this text. I always imagined that Isaiah would go to the temple day after day, week after week, and then just one day randomly God decided to be there and surprise him. But that's not it. The truth is that God was always there. Every single day, every single week, even when Isaiah didn't see him. And what's happening in the text is that God simply opened Isaiah's eyes to see what was already true. All right, that is the first point in the sermon, that God himself is present regardless of what your eyes see or what your heart feels. And that means that God is present here in this church Right now, in the same way he was with Isaiah. And he is here with all of his angels and archangels, even though your eyes don't see it. We see brick and mortar. We see wood. And we oftentimes think the building is empty with just us. But the truth is that God himself is here. And he's not just here in our hearts and our thoughts or our imagination. He is truly here. The God of God is here. And he is actually here whether you believe it or not. Now the second point I want to make is this. Is that God is truly present. And there is nowhere in this world that you can go that he is not already there. However, that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel that God is everywhere. In fact, that God is everywhere is not even comforting, is it? At least not yet. And the reason is, if God is everywhere, then that means God is also there when and where you sin. 
right? God has seen, he will see, and sees even now your sin. He not only knows these things, but he was present during your sins. Psalm 94 says this, he who formed the eye, does he not see? Jeremiah 23 says, uh, God says, can a man hide himself in a hiding place so that I don't see him? Again, Jeremiah 16 says, God says, for my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. Hebrews 4 says, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And this means that there is no place you can go to hide from God. That means locking your door or turning off the lights or closing the blinds or deleting your internet history won't do a thing. It means that lying about your sin, trying to cover it up, even running away from it and avoiding it will not solve the problem because you cannot hide your heart from God. That God is present is not a comfort to sinners. Those who know the holiness of God and also know their own unholiness know that it's not good to be near God in his holiness. Uh, Think about it this way. Being around the police is a good thing only if, what? You haven't done anything wrong, if you're not a criminal. But if you are, if you have done illegal things, then being around the police is bad because you're about to be punished and captured. Well, before God, you have all done what is illegal in his sight. That is, you're a criminal against his commands. You have sinned. It doesn't matter how good you think you are, how kind and loving you think you are. You have not kept the commandments as he said you should. He says, uh, don't let your eye wander. Don't let your heart be angry with your brother. That is his word. Your eyes have seen things they're not supposed to see, right? Your ears have heard things, sinful things, that they're not supposed to hear. Your heart has wanted things it's not supposed to have. Your mouth has said things, lies, deceit, gossip, curses, and slander. With the same mouth you used to praise God here tonight, you have also used that same mouth to speak ill. You have guilt in your hands. You are embarrassed and ashamed of things you've done. You fail to do what you've promised to do. And you have done things you promised you wouldn't do. And you know that God knows it all. He has not just seen it, but he was there for it. So, being close to God is not good in and of itself. The saints of God know this. Uh, I want you to remember St. Peter After the miraculous catch of fish, uh, when he realized Jesus was the Christ, he didn't celebrate. 
Luke chapter 5 says this. It says, Peter fell at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. Why? For I am a sinful man, O Lord. When he realizes that is the Christ, he wants to be out of there because he realizes his sin. Isaiah has the same reaction. When Isaiah sees God in this text, in Isaiah chapter 6, the first words out of his mouth are, Woe, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a, a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So when Isaiah says, woe is me, he's not just uh, being modest here. He's actually saying, woe is me. I am a poor, miserable sinner, and I deserve both temporal and eternal punishment. That's what it means when he says woe. And that is true for you. And it's true for me. All of us. That means... If God opened the earth beneath Isaiah's feet on that day and threw him into hell, God would not have done anything wrong or unjust. He would have still been just and holy. And if God were to send us to burn in hell right now for all eternity without any hope, God would still be just and holy for that. He will not have done anything wrong in doing that. Because that is truly, truly where we deserve to be. And if we were to receive this condemnation, we shouldn't for a second be surprised at it or even angry. We would simply bow our heads and say, yes, Lord, this is what I truly deserved. This is what I merit all of my life. This is what it amounts to, is that. This is where I deserve to be away from you forever. Now, all of this is true. And you shouldn't be surprised at any of this. That Isaiah says he deserves to be lost is not surprising. That is understandable. That I understand. God's wrath and judgment, I understand. I get that. But what I don't understand is the next part. After Isaiah says, woe is me, I am lost. God sends an angel to touch Isaiah's mouth and he says, behold, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. That I did not expect. That is surprising. That the grace and mercy of God would take away Isaiah's sin, what he truly deserved. That I don't understand. And this, dear saints, is the most beautiful thing in the world. Your heart should be rejoicing. It should be full of cheer this night. Because this, dear saints, is the gospel. The gospel is not simply that God himself is present here. The gospel is that God himself is present to take away your sin. And to atone for them. What we celebrate in Christmas is not simply that God took on flesh to be with us. But that he took on flesh to die for us. We say this in the creed each Sunday. We say, who for us men and for what reason? For our salvation. He came down from heaven. The gospel isn't that God comes to us. It's that he comes to us with grace and favor and with the forgiveness of sins to atone for your sins and wipe them away and take away your guilt. 
He comes to wash away your sins with a flood of his blood. The reason Jesus came wasn't simply to dwell with us, but to, do, to, but, but to die for us. Jesus and Jesus alone took our place. He took what we deserved. The punishment, the condemnation, the rejection, the mockery, the death, and the suffering that you and I merit. Jesus took it away from you. Jesus is the one who takes away the wrath of God through his death and who brings sinners into his kingdom. And Jesus is the only reason God and man can even be in the same room together. He's the only reason God and man can be uttered in the same sentence. You don't need to be afraid of God because you have Jesus who has forgiven all of your sins. Keep that in mind. There is not one sin that you have come in this day with that the Lord himself has not forgiven. There's not one sin that the Lord has not covered with his blood. This is what Hebrews 4 speaks of. That we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So let us hold fast our confession and then let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we don't draw uh, uh, near to God with intrepid hearts. We draw near to him with confidence knowing that Jesus has done everything and has satisfied the wrath and the law of God. So dear saints, I want you to treasure this and keep it in your mind always. That God is with you and he is for you. And so when the day comes when St. Paul, this church, and when Zion dwindle, and when the numbers fade, and when things begin to change out of our control, and when the day comes that there are only two or three gathered in his name, I want you to take heart knowing that he is still here with you. And he is still here taking away your sins. That no matter what happens, he will never, ever leave you or forsake you. He is with you until the end of the age. Every single day that you come here to this church, Jesus will be here, right here with you. Atoning for your sin, taking away your guilt. And that means that in the final moment of your life, when you breathe your last, when you're gasping for your final breaths of air, you remember that Jesus will be right there with you again, as he was every other day of your life. And he will be there to take away your sin and to speak his word into your ear of comfort and take you to his arms forever. So dear saints, praise God this night for his great and glorious love and forgiveness for you. God loves you. He has taken away your sin through his death. May God bless you this Advent as you remember how the Lord drew near to you to forgive you and how he does so even now. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.